Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. God is so good. God is so merciful. He gives us fresh starts and new beginnings. I'm excited to share a bit about what's been happening over the last few days and how God has been, I don't know, moving and um, stirring and has helped me to recover some things that I've lost, um, especially related to prayer and being available in prayer through trusting in God. Ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to talk about that, as well as have Father John Ricardo on, as well as talk about Jesus present in the Word at Mass. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Lots to cover today. I'm super excited. Not only are we going to have another Q&A with Father John Ricardo for one segment in the first section of the program, we're going to continue to dig into the Mass as a place of encounter with Jesus Christ in the Word. Christ is present as word at mass and how we ought to be attentive and receptive to that. So I'm excited for that. Let's begin with a prayer. And then I want to tell you a story. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, we come before you and we thank you and praise you for all of the ways that you love us and take care of us. Lord, you're such a merciful God. And I thank you, Jesus, that your word can penetrate to the heart and can cause a change of heart that leads to new action. I pray for that for my brothers and sisters who are struggling to take new action or to recover what they've lost. Please, Lord, bless us where we are and to help us move forward. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Boy, so many stories to share. I only have a few minutes, though, to talk today. So I'm going to share with you one story. So uh, there are some folks that I have that are moving into a rental property that Carrie and I have. And as you know, we, we love to help folks that are moving this way, but aren't really sure where they want to end up yet to give them a place where they can come and, and be here, kind of get themselves familiarized, and then when they're ready to buy a home. So this family that was moving in, uh, I didn't know that much about them. And then he started to share about a ministry he had that was um, no one should die alone. That they go and they sit at the bedside. They sit with people who are in the very end stages of their lives just to be with them, just so that they don't die alone. It's very powerful. And he said that the the reason why this ministry became so important to him was because of a question that someone asked him. And the question was, what do you want to be doing in that very last moment where you are living on earth? What is, what is the last thing that you want to be doing during that last moment when you're here on earth? 
and and obviously, and then you die, and then you come before the Lord, uh, and and you meet your Maker. And the answer for him was, well, I want to be praying. I want to be praying in my last moments. I want to be communicating with God. I want to be communing with the Lord. I want to be sensing God's presence and power. <coughs> and that was the basis of this ministry, was that he wanted to help people who he already knew were in the last stages of their lives to be spending those final precious moments not alone, not confused, not lost, not in the dark, not wondering, but to be able to sense God's presence, nearness to the Lord, to be with someone else in prayer. That was very beautiful. And it got me thinking in a new way about how am I spending my time? What am I spending my time doing? And that was sort of the the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. I had listened to a homily online. It was was more of a teaching. And in the teaching, the teaching ended with a quote from Sister Lucia, the primary visionary of Fatima, right? The three visionary Portuguese little children. Sister Lucia, 40 years later, or 30 years later, um, was talking to a priest, and she said that the Blessed Mother has been granted that the rosary in this moment in history has been given a very special power or efficacy that can address any problem, can overcome any difficulty in one's own life, in one's own family, in one's own community, in the church, and in the world. That the Lord has given to the rosary a special power or efficacy to bring about a good that can overcome any difficulty in one's own life, in one's own family, in one's own community, in uh, the, the church and in the world. And that really convicted me about the call that I have to spend time praying the rosary live on the internet. And so for the last two days, I'm back. I'm back on Facebook praying the rosary live with others and for others. I don't want to be leaving on the sidelines the grace that God has given me to be able to pray with others this powerful and important prayer granted such a grace. There you go. That's all I have time for today. Let's dive into a next question with Father John Ricardo. The saint for our time, Padre Pio or Mother Teresa? Uh, saints help us move us to accomplish our mission. Uh, What would you propose as a saint that has helped you specifically move you to accomplish your mission? And then let that launch into Padre Pio or Mother Teresa. I'd say option C. And I think the saint is Joan of Arc. Really? I love it. Let's go. So it's interesting, right? So Joan, Joan's burnt the stake at, uh, at 19 years old, uh, 1431, um, we know more about her perhaps than any other person who ever lived at that time. And we know so much about her because we have the transcript of her trial and then the transcript of her, um, like, oh, sorry, we burned you. 
to death uh, retrial. And so we have not only her words, but we have the words of those who knew her. So Jones is a fascinating figure. So she's burned at the stake, and yet she's not a martyr because she doesn't die for the faith. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a strange case because it's so um, seemingly political. But the, the reason why Jones is so significant to me is, um, so Jones, one of Jones' many famous lines, uh, when she embarks on the mission that the Lord gives to her, she was asked, aren't you afraid? And she says, no, I'm not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this. That is magnanimity. That's not pride. Um, that's magnanimity. And the reason why I think that's so significant is what we're constantly trying to drive home into every other person is that's not just true for Joan. That's true for you and for me, for every single person. Like I was born for right now. And you were born for right now. I'm not a historical accident. You're not a historical accident. Like God could have chosen in his providence for you to be alive at ninth century Guatemala, right? But he chose now in this country where you live. And he and he placed into you very particular gifts, just like he placed into Joan very particular gifts. And he's placed every single one of us where we are with our with our gifts, natural supernatural, and he has a mission for us. And I don't think most Catholics know the mission. And the mission isn't to get out of here. The mission isn't to survive and get to heaven. You know, like heaven's the goal to be sure, but heaven, I don't think we understand what heaven is either. The mission is to do everything we can to cooperate with Jesus in what he began on Easter Sunday. And what he began on Easter Sunday was the recreation of this world, which he loves. And when he comes back, and he will come back, and it might be Tuesday, um, he's not going to take us away. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, you and I are the same um, age where we, we used to sing that really bad song, um, Let Us Build the City of God, which is a really bad song because you can't build the city of God, but you can build for it. And we're supposed to. And I think the reason why Joan's such a significant saint for this day is because I think the struggle for a lot of disciples is how do I integrate my faith into my life other than just do it with integrity? And it's important to do it with integrity. But the mission isn't holiness. Holiness is really important. Holiness is something like the mission interiorly. In other words, like cooperating with the Holy Spirit to have all those places in my life, my mind, my patterns of speech, my thought, my actions, whatever, where the enemy's been reigning, I want the spirit to, to lead me to surrender those areas so that they're, they're now in Jesus's control, right? That's the mission interiorly. But there's a mission out there. And one of my favorite lines from C.S. Lewis is, um, the story of Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and flesh, Right? And he calls us all to engage in a great campaign of sabotage. That's the mission. And that makes people really nervous because we're rightly very concerned about language like that in our culture. But, you know, so like I would word that more, even more provocatively as Jesus calls us to go blow things up. Um, 
we just have to understand a couple of things. First of all, the enemy is the enemy, period, which is to say the enemy is not another race, another gender, another political party. No human being is my enemy. I might be theirs. They're not mine. They're just rebels to win, just like I was and still can be, and just like you were and still can be. Um, the enemy is Satan, period. People do wicked things. That, that's not what I'm saying. Of course they do. There's a lot of people doing wicked things right now. They're not the enemy. I want to win them because Jesus died for the ungodly, which is all of us. And then we also have to remember what are the weapons. The weapons are truth and goodness and beauty and integrity and forgiveness and reconciliation. And the Lord wants to, and this is what Joan understood and what we need to understand. The Lord wants to send us out as doctors, as 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 radio hosts, as as attorneys, as politicians, as coaches. And he wants to put us into those areas so that by his grace, we can do everything we can to take what the enemy has bent and try to bend it back so that it's in conformity with how the Father created it to be. And it might cost me my life, and it might cost you yours, but it's worth it. That's the mission. Like, I was born to do that. And, and that's what you and I are sent out after every single mass, huh? Ite misa es. She is sent to do what? Yes, to evangelize, but it's more than evangelize. You know, Jesus says, um, teach them everything I have commanded you. Well, Jesus didn't just teach us how to pray. He taught us how to play, how to work, how to eat. He taught us about politics. He taught us about sex. He taught us about marriage. He taught us about friendship. He taught us about forgiveness. The task of the disciple is go into the world and make of the church an attractive and threatening um, icon of how the world will be one day when he returns and makes it all new. And, and that's what Paul did when he started his little churches. They were immensely attractive and very dangerous to the Roman Empire. And I don't think the church right now is either attractive or threatening to downright anybody in most places. You actually lead me right into my next quote. I'm going to jump ahead about a century and a half, a little bit ahead of St. Joan of Arc to St. Catherine of Siena. And I'm going to put a twist on a very famous quote of St. Catherine's, which you could finish easily. Become who you are meant to be and you'll set the world on fire. Okay, I'm going to switch and say, respond to this one. Become fire and the world will become what it is meant to be. Is that true? And if so, how would you help Catholics to become fire so that the world will become what it is meant to be? Yeah, I think it's true. And, and, and it, I think it's especially appropriate today on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, right? So um, the Lord wants to kindle a fire on the earth, right? And the fire is the fire of charity. And, and you know, tragically, we, we reduce charity to sentiment. And, and that's not what charity is. Charity includes, but it's bigger than sentiment. It's bigger than feelings. I don't think Joan felt particularly good as she was being burned alive, right? I don't think Maximilian Colby felt particularly good as he's dying of starvation, taking the place of, of another inmate in Auschwitz. I think, I think the church had... So here's the problem. So there are a lot of things wrong right now in the culture, in the church, in the nation, in the world. 
the key to problem solving is to find the problem. What's the problem? Like, what's the fundamental problem with humanity? Well, it's, it's right here. It's the heart. So how does the heart get well? I mean, politics is very important. Can't fix my heart. Law is really important. It can't fix my heart. The only one that can fix my heart is, is God. And he, he fixes that in lots of ways, by the power of faith and by the power of the sacraments, especially. Whereby my heart is, hopefully, ever more conformed to his heart. And so become fire, meaning what? Have your heart ever more conformed to the heart of Jesus. What are you going to do? Well, you, you're going you, you to help heal the world. Why? Because the world's at each other's throats right now. And nobody can fix this except God, which is to say nobody can fix this except his bride. Because that's how God works in the world right now is through his bride. The problem is the church is at each other's throats too. And so there is a, like everything's at stake. Like we, we have got to get well as the body of Christ, or we are not going to be able to answer the world's cry. But instead, the world is often, or the church rather, is oftentimes, I think, imitating the world. We demonize one another. We, we, you know, the charismatics demonize the traditionalists. The TLMers demonize the charismatics. You know, how dare you receive Jesus in the hand? How dare you tell me I have to receive him on the tongue? You know, how dare you do? We, we just act like the world. We got to stop doing that. And so if our hearts can, can ever bore, be conformed to the Lord's, if my heart can be ever more conformed to the Lord, then I'm going to be all the more able to go out into the world in which I live and to play my part in helping to reconcile the world, which is what God's sending us out to do by drawing people into an encounter with Jesus. People should walk into our parishes, people who are not Catholic, People have been away from the church for a long time. They should walk into our parishes and they should look around and go, I'll be darned. Huh. These people really get it. Here's people who don't have anything in common. They, they, they drive different cars. They, they make different levels of income. They're every color under the rainbow. They have nothing in common. All they have in common is they know they owe everything to the man on that cross and they have surrendered their lives to him and they call each other brother and sister and they lay down their lives for each other. And if people saw that, they'd be lining up in our churches. They don't see it. And because they don't, our churches are emptying. Or where they don't, the churches are emptying. Where they do, people are flocking. Welcome back to the program. I hope and pray that you enjoyed that reflection that I offered on the rosary and then Father John Ricardo giving an answer to a question. Tomorrow, tune in. He'll be offering another answer to a question, and we're going to continue on with our series on the Mass. This is part one of the second part on Jesus' presence in the Word. Jesus in the Word. Well, I welcome you back to our second session here uh, where we're treating uh, the Mass, Four Encounters with Jesus that Will Change Your Life. Well, I'm a very blessed man. I've been married for 18 years, and uh, God has blessed me in many, many ways. But before I was married, I entered the seminary. 
I went into the seminary when I was 19 years old, and I spent five years in the seminary. Three of those years I was in Rome studying, and it was such a, a great privilege. I was never ordained a priest. I left before, about a year before ordination would have happened for me. Uh, but studying in Rome was such a great experience. Now, one of the things that seminarians did when they uh, were, uh, as students, uh, uh, in, in the city of Rome is they would dress as priests. And I remember one particular beautiful spring day when uh, I was outside of the Gregorian University where I was studying just down the street is the Trevi Fountain. So here I was on a beautiful spring late morning, uh, eating a piece of pizza, overlooking the Trevi Fountain, talking to a friend of mine. And, uh, and as we were there, you know, lots of tourists and crowds, all of a sudden, coming down the road, this cobblestone road, and not a lot of cars came down this road, there was a, um, there was a whole lineup of, of policemen on motorcycles and a stretch limousine in the middle. And, and so the policemen on motorcycles came up and the stretch limo was in the middle of them and pulled up right next to where we were, sitting on the wall overlooking the Trevi Fountain. And all of a sudden, this very important man gets out of the car. How do I know this? Well, he gets out of the car, and all of a sudden, sort of kind of materializing out of nowhere, were these cameramen and news reporters. All of a sudden, I saw them, and here they are, and, and crowds came around, and, and they're shouting questions to, the, to this important man, and he waves to the crowd and goes into the building behind him. I'm just watching all of this, when a short while later, he comes back out again. And the crowd is gathering around again. And the reporters are there again with their cameras. And instead of getting into his limo, he walks around the limo and he starts heading towards the wall where I'm sitting with my friend. And I said to my friend, let's get out of here. <laughs> so I jumped off the wall and I started to push away through the crowd, away from the direction where the man was, the important man was coming. And as I'm moving away, all of a sudden, someone grabbed me and turned around, and it's the important guy. And this important guy has grabbed me by the shoulder, turned me around, and I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden, he turns me towards the crowd that backs away, the cameramen focus in, and he starts smiling and waving at the camera. And I'm watching this, and what do I do? I start smiling and waving at the camera. And then I think to myself, who is this guy? Maybe he's like some enemy of the church. And here I am, smiling and waving, because I'm dressed like a priest. Well, what do I do? Well, I turn and I say to him, who are you? And everybody starts laughing. And he gets all embarrassed and flustered, and, and he turns and he looks at me, and he says, I'm the president of Portugal. Portugal, a Catholic country. And I started smiling and waving again. Right? Well, he was so flustered and embarrassed about this that he quickly disengaged with me, got back into his limo, and off they went. And, you know, I stop and I, and I think about this story, and I say to myself, when I saw that guy come around the car, the president of Portugal, coming into the crowd, I thought, he only saw a crowd. He didn't see a crowd. He saw me. And in seeing me, he didn't just see me. He wanted to be close to me. He wanted to be connected to me. He wanted to be 
right alongside me. We come to Mass, and so often it seems to me we believe we're just part of a crowd. And that God who's present, or Jesus Christ who's present, is present in some kind of vague spiritual way. Hopefully, one of the things that will grow in us over the course of these sessions is this deepened awareness, this deepened way of seeing what is happening at Mass, who is here at Mass, and the truth that Jesus Christ does not, at Mass, see a crowd. He sees you. And not only does he see you, but he approaches you. He takes the initiative. He seeks you out. And he is going to speak to you at Mass the word that you most need to hear. Quick review is, uh, of what we covered yesterday, because um, I left you with a question. At the end of the session, you you were wondering if I was going to remember. I asked the question, well, why are we here? Why go to Mass? What's the purpose? What are the goals? What are the purposes or goals or the purpose or the goal of going to Mass? From our standpoint, well, what shows up regarding the here is, for instance, how this reality, the Mass, is named. It is a holy sacrifice of the Mass. It is a celebration of the holy Eucharist. This is a Eucharistic celebration. Let's pay attention to that. Let's pay attention to the name. At the essence of what we do here is that word Eucharist. Who knows what the word Eucharist means? Thanksgiving. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Say that. Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Now, that gives us a clue, a hint into one of the goals or purposes for being here. What should be a goal or a purpose? What should be one of the, 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 the meanings of the Mass for us in terms of saying, I know I've accomplished one of the goals that I have for being at Mass if I have made an act of thanksgiving. Let's dig into this a little bit. What day of the year has the most phone calls made on it? Not Thanksgiving. (laughs) Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Just, oh, by the way, uh, what day of the year has the most collect calls made on it? Father's Day. Okay. (laughs) Where they still have collect calls, right? I don't know. These are pretty much gone. That joke is pretty much history, even though it was true in its time. Uh, What is it about Mother's Day that evokes all of these phone calls? Don't say guilt. (laughs) But what is it about Mother's Day that evokes all of these phone calls? I propose to you that there is something deep in the human heart that recognizes that mom, no matter what else she gave me in my life, mom gave me something that is so big, so enormous, that there is nothing that I could do in return to ever 
compare with what she gave me. What is it she gave me? Life. Life. And when we have that sense of having received a gift that goes beyond what it was we earned, deserved, uh, somehow uh, had coming to us, when, when we have this sense of being overwhelmed with the gift that we've received, what, what is it that comes out of us? How do I ever thank you? How, how can I ever thank you for all the good that you've done for me? When I, when I give this talk and there are young people present, I'll, I'll go up to one of them and I'll say, you know, here's Jim and Jim wants to go to the mall. And I say, oh, Jim, I'll give you a ride to the mall. And I drop him off at the mall and I say, what do you say? He says, well, I say, thank you. And I said, instead, Jim, if in, instead of saying I'm going to uh, drop you off at the mall, I'm going to give you my car. Now you can drive yourself to the mall and you can keep the car. And you know what he typically says? Uh, I want to see the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, why, why would they say something like that? Because it's, well, this is too much. This is so far beyond anything that I could even imagine receiving, expecting, deserving. This is too much. Have you ever, ever sensed in your heart a need, an inner demand, an inner impulse with regards to God to say to God, how do I ever Thank you. How can I possibly express my gratitude, my, my thanks to you for all of the mercy you've shown to me, all of the goodness you've shown to me, all that you, you have given. What has God given you? What has God given you? God has given you life. Your mom gave you life, but the ultimate source of life is God. What else has God given you? Your children. Incredible gifts from God. What else has God given you? My entire family. My entire family. How about everything? Everything, everything. All that I am, all that I have. And when you fail God, when you betray God through sin, what does God offer you? Forgiveness, Forgiveness a new start, a new beginning, a fresh start, a way out, a path forward. You're not stuck. You're not condemned. You're not damned. You are offered a whole resurrection from spiritual death. A destiny with God forever. Who? Who can ever say, I've, I've thanked you, God, fittingly, appropriately, for all that you've given to me. To be able to appreciate that, this is what I've received from God. It, it causes to arise in us. It, it stirs within us an inner need, a necessity, almost a demand to say, thank you, thank you. And this actually gives us one of those answers that you're always wondering, like, 
How do I respond to my kids who say, why do I have to go to Mass? What's so special about Mass? I feel closer to God when I'm walking down by the side of the lake. I feel closer to God when I'm walking up in the mountains. I feel closer to God just sitting around the coffee table, uh, breakfast table with my Bible open. I feel closer to God when I'm singing songs with other people who are excited to be there. Why do I have to be at Mass? What's so special about the Mass? This is one of the answers. One of the answers. Are you ready for it? At Mass, when you say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God the Father does not hear your voice. But when you say, thank you, Father, at Mass, the Father hears the voice of his Son, Jesus. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Outside of Mass, when you say, thank you, God, you're acting. You're acting. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, you're acting. You're taking that sense of saying, I recognize this. I need to thank the Father. And I do so as a member of the body of Christ. But when I come to Mass, guess what? I come to Mass There is one who is present. Who's present? Jesus. But he's not just present. He is acting. In fact, at Mass, Jesus isn't just present in a passive sort of way that says Jesus Christ is present, as we learned in four distinct ways. Jesus Christ is present how? In the assembly, whom he gathers. Jesus present in the word that is proclaimed. Jesus present in the priest who presides, and Jesus is present as Eucharist. Jesus isn't just present, he's acting. Not just acting, he's the principal actor. He's the leader. He's the principal agent of the act of thanksgiving. The Mass is an action of Jesus Christ, the High Priest. And we the members of his body, are invited to join into his action. It's not just that we are acting at Mass to say thank you, Father. Jesus thanks the Father at Mass. And I, I'm finite, I'm limited, My thanksgiving isn't pure, isn't fully aware, isn't perfect. (gasps) But the thanks that the Son gives to the Father, infinite, perfect, unending. I get to join into his action at Mass. 
Are you following this? This is why Mass is so distinct, so special, so important, so different than other actions that we can do that that are, are beneficial outside of Mass. All of the sacraments are referred to as a certain kind of prayer. You know what that's called? Liturgy. Liturgy. Liturgy involves the seven sacraments and it involves the liturgy of the hours, the official prayer of the church, which is different than just saying your morning prayers. Prayers as beautiful as the rosary, wonderful devotion. My family prays the rosary daily. And yet it's not the same as liturgical prayer. In liturgical prayer, it's Christ the high priest who's the principal actor, and we are invited into his action. Christ is not merely present at Mass. He's the principal actor in this act of thanksgiving, Eucharist. It's a holy thanksgiving that happens at Mass. But yesterday, we focused on the first presence of Christ The first presence of Christ at Mass that I focused on was in the assembly. And in doing so, we learned something about how extensive the assembly is that is gathered at Mass. How extensive is this assembly that gathers at Mass? Is it just those who are within the four walls of the church? No. It extends all the way from earth to heaven, where we are drawn up into the act of heavenly worship while we worship God the Father at Mass. Ah, There's the second purpose or goal for our being at Mass. Why are you at Mass? I'm going to give you a very hopefully easy to remember sentence. I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. My goal at Mass is to give God thanks and praise. Say it with me. I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. I go to Mass to give God thanks and praise. So you have a way of measuring. You have a way of evaluating. You have a way of stopping and saying, did I have a good Mass? Did I achieve the goal, the purpose, the purposes for which God has invited us to be at Mass? His purposes for us to give God thanks and praise. Now, wait a minute. Have you ever had someone say, okay, somehow our lives are supposed to be to glorify God and and our lives are meant to praise God? God seems pretty self-centered creating us just so we can praise him. It's not that God created us so we could praise him. It's rather having been created by God, when we come into his presence, the proper response is to praise him. Do you remember the quality of my recognition is made manifest by my response? Say it again. The quality of my recognition is made manifest by my response. How well I see, how deeply I am aware of something, how conscious I am of something that is showing up in front of me is made manifest. It comes out into the open by how I respond to it. 
when I'm driving and a red light comes out into the open, I recognize it and I respond by stopping, right? I recognize, I respond. If someone gives me a gift for my birthday, I recognize they're giving me a gift, I respond by saying thank you. There's a proper and appropriateness, a correspondence between what shows up and how I respond to it. When I come out the door and I see an incredible sunset, it, I recognize it and I stand in awe. I stop and I appreciate it. I say, my goodness. When I am at my daughter's soccer game and she kicks a goal, what do I do? Stand up and cheer. There is an action, there's an event, something comes out into the open in front of me, I see it, and I am to respond. When God shows up, when God comes out into the open, when God is made manifest, when God appears, what's the proper response of the human being? Praise. Praise. We don't praise God out of the demand that God gives to us that we have to obey him by praising him. No, rather, God, who is infinitely beautiful, infinitely majestic, infinitely glorious, infinitely holy, eternal, and our Father, who pours out eternal life upon us and regenerates us as his children, when that God shows up, how can I keep from singing? How how can I keep from praising? That is, wow! Remember we talked about in the Gloria, you know, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we glorify you. We mar- God has shown up. This is the response. Praise is the appropriate response of the one who has been drawn into the presence of his loving father, of her loving father through the son. That's why we are asked to praise. Not out of some demand and duty but because it's the proper response of the one who recognizes the showing up of their heavenly father. When I show up at home from work at the end of my day, open the door, daddy's home! And they come running and running and running and jump on me. And that's Carrie, my wife. (laughs) My kids... The father shows up, dad shows up, where dad wasn't. When dad shows up, the kids respond. Praise, praise, praise. We have to learn how to praise. We have to learn how to recognize what it means to just come out of ourselves and pour out ourselves to God in acts of acclamation and worship. Why am I at Mass? Why are we invited to come to Mass? To give God thanks and praise. Not just to fulfill the commandment. Fulfill the commandment, yes. Follow the the law of the church, yes. Yes, yes, yes. But all of those things get you in the door. They get you in the door. 
But what are you doing now that you're in his holy place? Give him thanks and praise. Now, where we ended up last time was with the, what's called the collect, the end of the introductory rite where Father gathers our prayers into one and pray, presents them to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we now move into the liturgy of the word. And moving into the liturgy of the word, we have this first main section of the mass. We're going to discover something. And what we're going to discover is it's not only the case that God has purposes or goals for us at mass, but God is also up to something at mass. It's not only that you are given a God-assigned goal or goals for coming and being at Mass. And let me just hear them again. What are they? I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. Don't ever forget it. I'm at Mass to give God thanks and praise. Why is God at Mass? Why is God the Father at Mass? That's kind of a... Have you ever even thought of it like that? Well, as we enter into the liturgy of the word, we notice some things. The first is that we sit down. You see, because God has a purpose in the liturgy of the word. And it's simply put, the father says to you, sit down. I want to have a word with you. That was pretty funny. Come on. <laughs> sit down. I want to have a word with you. Now, that's striking. That's striking to us. Because when we consider Jesus Christ and his presence, his active presence among us, it's easy to recognize that he's actively present in the community. We're, we're, we're alive. We do things. It's easier, I think, to recognize that Christ is present in, in human beings or in the priest and, and, and probably also as Eucharist, because we're a Eucharistic-centered uh, community of faith. And so the idea that Jesus is present as Eucharist, I think, is, is something that's still very uh, deeply rooted in our, in our life, in our way of looking at, at life and faith. But the concept of Christ present as word is, I think, the one that is the most foreign to us. It's the one that we're least accustomed to maybe really thinking about and acting on. And, and I think part of the reason is, is that the Bible, the sacred scriptures, the word of God is a book. And books can seem rather passive. It's, I put it down, it sits there. I come back, it's still sitting there. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. So to consider this book somehow an active presence, an active place of, of presence of Jesus Christ, this is something that is a bit more foreign to us. Do you remember Pope John Paul II said, if you want to have this renewed way of seeing and living, this renewed way of living your faith, remember he talked about there are three levels, three stages, there are three dimensions to this. It's, it's not enough just to believe Catholic things and do Catholic, uh, live uh, 
act Catholic ways. Remember? Remember what Pope Benedict XVI said? He said that being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, Jesus Christ, who gives life a new horizon and decisive direction. There's this sense of encounter. There's this sense of an event, a meeting Jesus, remember? That's at the heart of it all. And we've got to get that. And so how do we get that with regards to the scriptures, with regards to the Bible? Now, this idea that reading the scriptures is a place of encounter with Jesus, who is the word, who has a word for you, where the Father will come and speak lovingly to you. You might say to yourself, is he just making this stuff up? It sounds good, maybe, but who else says this kind of thing? I I haven't heard this before. Well, you might have heard of a fellow named Pope Benedict XVI. So here's a quote from um, when he was a cardinal, Cardinal Ratzinger. This is a quote of his, and it addresses this issue. He says, today... Christianity is seen as an old tradition, weighed down by old commandments, something we already know which tells us nothing new. A strong institution, one of the great institutions that weigh on our shoulders. If we stay with this impression, we do not live the essence of Christianity, which is an ever new encounter, an event thanks to which we can encounter the God who speaks to us, who approaches us, and who befriends us. It's critical to come to this fundamental point of a personal encounter with God, who also today makes himself present and who is contemporary. If one finds this essential center, one also understands all other things. But if this encounter is not realized, which touches the heart, all the rest remains like a weight, almost like something absurd. Wow. Can you follow what he's saying? What he's saying is, look, the essence of our faith is an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus is something that is to be present every day, not because we make the choice every day to approach God, but rather the Father every day has chosen to approach you. Today, God the Father is going to approach you. He's going to take the initiative to come towards you. He's going to speak to your heart a word that is just for you. If we get that, we get everything else. What's everything else? All the beliefs, and all the commandments. But if we don't get the encounter, if we're missing the relationship, you know what we're left with? Burdensome demands, a weight on our shoulders. It seems absurd. You don't believe me? Ask young people. If young people are given the burdensome demand of going to Mass and following the commandments and believing all these things, but are never invited to open themselves for the encounter. If it isn't fostered in them this awareness that God sees 
in each of them individually, is approaching them, each of them individually, each of them every day, and is inviting them to open their hearts, open their lives, to say, yes, please, I long for a relationship with you as a father because of the Son and your Spirit who lives within me. Come alive in me. That's so hard for us as parents because I can do a lot to control my kids' external behavior. You know, you're going to go to Mass. Well, you can find another place to live. Quote, my dad. (laughs) Guess what this dad now does? Oh, you find to make the choice of not going to Mass, just find another place to live, right? And I'm kind of, you know, kind of joking. My kids are pretty young. But in other words, the behavior, go to Mass, I can get them to do that. The behavior, pray a rosary, you know, daily, I can get them to do that. Can I get them, can I make them trust their lives to God? Can I make them open their hearts to God? I can't make them. I can pray for it. I can witness to it. I can point them to great lives of saints and examples. I can bring them around other people who have done it. I can help put them in situations where hopefully it'll nurture that in them so that they will say yes to the knocking on the door of their heart of Jesus Christ in his word. Please expect, expect that your kids are going to be bored at Mass. Expect that you will be bored at Mass if the only thing that's happening is I'm fulfilling a commandment, but I don't understand it, I don't have a sense of connection with it, and I don't see myself drawn into it. In the Word, Christ's presence in the Word, what do we have? An invitation to please be seated. Please be seated at Mass. And unfortunately, when we are seated at Mass, what do we tend to do? Sit back. (sighs) We can sit back and relax. We are in a more passive role. Huh? Does that make sense? How often do we, again, I kind of say this, we kind of sit back and all of a sudden, you know, there's a lecture getting up and a reading from the book of Genesis and then all of a sudden we kind of, the word of the Lord. Whoa, what happened? What happened? I kind of faded out. Do you think that Mary faded out when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus? Martha and Mary, right? Jesus comes to the home. What does Mary do? She sits at his feet. She looked him in the eyes. So the posture of sitting is your response. Did you hear that? The posture of sitting is your response to the recognition that Jesus is present as word and he is going to speak to you. Don't doubt this. At every Mass, at any Mass, Jesus Christ does not see a crowd. He sees you. And when he sees you, he knows the word that you need to have pierce your heart. He knows that word that you most need to hear. And it's a living word. It's a word that will bring life 
to us.